Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 127, Making It Work in Space. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. This is part five of our six-part series on the Human Research Program. Today, we're focusing on an element called research operations and integration. At a high level, you've heard a bunch of different areas so far of the disciplines and priorities in the Human Research Program. These folks are the ones that organize it and bring it all together, which, as you might imagine, is a huge task. So here to go into detail on this group that makes everything run together smoothly and in an integrated way for human research is Dr. William Brandon Vesey, goes by Brandon, and Dr. Sherry Ubri. Brandon Vesey is the Deputy Element Scientist for Flight Analogs with NASA's Research Operations and Integration Element at the Johnson Space Center. He provides scientific oversight for ground-based spaceflight analog studies. These are where you put people in an environment that's kind of like spaceflight, like an isolated habitat on a mountain, for example, and you learn about the different human research areas of spaceflight without flying to space. Sherry Ubri is the Deputy Element Scientist for Flight with NASA's Research Operations Integration Element at the Johnson Space Center. As Deputy Element Scientist for Flight, Sherry provides science oversight for human research program studies on the International Space Station. So, here we go. Operating and integrating all of the fascinating human spaceflight research across the world with Brandon Vesey and Sherry Ubri. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch the mid-flight circuit. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Brandon and Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. We are going to talk about research operations and integration. This is the part of human research that you are a part of, right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So it has a long, not necessarily long and fancy, but it does. It, you, it doesn't really say immediately. This is exactly what we do. So what is it that you guys exactly do? So what we do is we take all of the research from the Human Research Program and integrate it into the various platforms that we have available, whether it's spaceflight or the ground analogs. Okay, so it's taking. Someone has an idea. This is an experiment I want to do, this is research I want to conduct, and you say, okay, this is how it's going to work in this setting. This is how it's going to work on the International Space Station. These are the things you're going to need to be successful. These are the requirements. These are the constraints, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's uh, kind of generally what we're doing is is taking, as you put it, the ideas from the, the researchers and really trying to make it something implementable so taking it and figuring out what are your requirements for actually getting the research done what do you need to really um, meet your objectives um, be able to answer the scientific question that you're trying to answer and then taking a look at that relative to what's available in the different platforms as sherry mentioned um, either figure out where the right fit is to get that work done um, or when it's a space flight study um, figuring out uh, the right way of actually going about implementing that study in the spaceflight environment. Sounds like a lot of management, a lot of oversight. There's a lot of herding cats, uh, <laughs> as we affectionately refer to managing some of the, the different uh, investigations and investigators that we work with. Um, a, a lot of really good ideas that may not uh, immediately be um, something that we can pull off in terms of actually implementing the research without the tweaks here and there. So we help the researchers kind of figure out what are those tweaks, do them in the right way that's not going to negatively impact their actual research question um, or the answer that they're trying to achieve, um, but still be implementable in the environment because sometimes there's that disconnect between the initial idea um, and hmm. what can actually be done in the particular environment. So you're both in management positions. I'm guessing this means that you've been on the research side of things first. So you understand kind of the needs of the researchers and what they are looking to do. And then maybe a little bit of flight experience to understand um, how that could be implemented. Yeah, so I think we both have been PIs of different experiments. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, in particular, have um, a couple of flight experiments that I've been involved with. Uh, my background is in microbiology, and so I've done hmm. some spaceflight microbiology type research. Okay. So yeah, let's go. Let's go into your background to kind of understand what, what we're talking. Sherry, keep going with uh, with microbiology. How'd you get started with that? With microbiology. So um, microbiology undergraduate loved it. Went to graduate school for it. <laughs> Did a postdoc with um, the United States Air Force, looking at warfighter health and how to keep um, troops deployed and healthy, and then was lucky enough to come here and did some work with a JSE micro lab and looking at how to keep astronauts safe and healthy in, in the space environment, um, both on the operational, how we clean the vehicle side and um, research. Hmm. So the microbiology of, I guess, the environment, um, maybe a little bit of the people too? Yep, so a little bit of both. A little bit of both, okay. What kinds of research did you do in the past to, what, like what sorts of things were you looking at specifically when it comes to microbiology? So um, we, we've looked at different types of hardware that can monitor the environment. So we've done some space light experiments with that. We have also looked at um, ways to clean the environment and how we need to treat and clean plants for consumption in spaceflight. And then uh, there's a study that's actually just starting that I was part of before I, before I joined this team that's looking at the host pathogen interaction and how those microbes um, interact with the human and how we can uh, understand how that interaction happens and make sure that infections don't occur. Hmm. All very important work. I know for me on the ground, I use a salad spinner for, for cleaning some of mine. Wouldn't that be great? That would be nice and easy for on orbit, but I'm sure it's more, more complicated than that. Now, um, for research operations and integration, there's two parts. There's flight and there's analog. Now, which one are you overseeing? So I work with the investigators looking at the space flight, in particular on the International Space Station. Okay. So we'll get more into that. But first, I want to go over to you, Bryn, and tell us a little bit more about your history. Sure. So... Um, uh, undergraduate uh, and all my graduate experience at University of Oklahoma, boomer sooner, um, <laughs> in psychology and then industrial organizational psychology. So how you take um, psychology and apply it to work. Um, a lot of my work there was focused on leadership, creativity, uh, teamwork, and I kind of took that uh, here to, to JSC. So previous experiences working with our um, human factors and behavioral performance element. Hmm. Um, specifically on the behavioral side. Um, I was a uh, portfolio scientist for the team area, so team dynamics of um, uh, crews that are in the long duration spaceflight environment. So if you put you know, four to six people together for three years in a really confined environment, how do you keep them performing well, happy, healthy, all those good things. Um, from specific PI experience on my end, uh, it, it was mostly on the um, studies that we did previously looking at the effects of communication delay on individual and team performance, um, in looking at that both on the ISS and in the analogs um, over different durations of communication delay. Since we know for future missions, light speed only goes so quick, uh, communication delays will happen. So how do we have effective performance of the big team? So not just the team that's in the vehicle, but working together with the ground as one overall team to achieve the mission. So hmm. um, research focused on that, and then also as portfolio scientists overseeing a lot of the different um, team and team dynamic studies that were going on in that area. I can see how so. conference calls would be a little bit harder if everybody takes 20 minutes to respond to a question. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a little bit more complicated in deep space. I'm starting to see yeah. the breadth of experiences that you guys bring to research operations. There's a little bit of the microbiology, a little bit of the teams. Brandon, I don't know if you've, I mean, that's awesome research that you're doing with team dynamics, but it sounds like you can apply those same team dynamics to having the research operations and integration team themselves perform their tasks. Yeah, I like a um, management perspective. am always very tempted to start research studies on us as an organization <laughs> and manage to, you know, keep those impulses pushed down a little bit. Um, it, it, I always say the most interesting study would be on us. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's definitely come into play. Um, you know, the management of these. Um, large sets of studies that we have to integrate both in flight and in the analogs. It's, it's a complicated process. There's a lot of different people involved. So um, being able to manage those dynamics is, is really important to the job that we do. Um, there's a lot of folks with a lot of really good ideas that don't necessarily play well together. Um, and we have to figure out how to make those studies and how to make those individuals um, work as a cohesive team to get the research done. 
That's like management 101, super <laughs> important, honestly. Um, so, Sherry, you mentioned you were looking over flight. Brandon, you said analogs. That's correct. Um, this is we've been we've been shooting this word around quite a bit, analog, but it might not be something that people necessarily understand right off the bat. What's an analog? Yeah, so analogs are basically for for our purposes. Let's let's focus in on spaceflight analogs. So okay. we'll add that that word to it. Um, <laughs> it's it's really any environment where we're able to mimic some key aspect of the spaceflight environment. So it's not we're really careful about simulation versus analog. A simulation, you're trying to kind of do everything. You're replicating everything about a particular environment. With an analog, we're taking one or two key pieces and trying to replicate those. So for example, um, for future missions, we know the crews are gonna be uh, physically isolated uh, in an environment for a long period of time. So that duration in a confined environment, that's one aspect of spaceflight that we can mimic in these analog environments. We're not gonna put them in you know, microgravity while we're doing that, because we haven't quite come up with the anti-gravity machines yet, right? Mm. But at least that aspect of it, we can s try to mimic some of the aspects of, see what the effects are on the people, and then be able to generalize that back to future missions. Okay, yeah, you can't yeah. just throw everyone in space. Um, so right. let's pick something that's sort of like a space flight, like for example, the fact that you're in a spaceship traveling to Mars, just that idea of being alone on that spaceship, how, how do people perform? I'm guessing this is where some of those team dynamic studies come exactly. into play. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got a range of different environments that we look at because each one has kind of unique aspects that fill in those gaps in um, what are the key parts of the space flight environment we need to look at. So we've got, um, places that are a little bit more lab-like where we keep uh, people isolated and confined for either days or months to, at a time um, to look at those isolation and confinement components. We do bed rest studies to look at some of the effects of microgravity on the body. Um, and then we also have even more extreme environments uh, looking at studies in the Antarctic um, mm -hmm. where we're able to not just get the isolation and confinement but also the danger of the environment itself. Um, you know, you go outside and you're not in a good situation, similar to spaceflight. If you go outside unprotected, you're not in a good situation. Okay. That extreme, yeah, the extreme environment, the isolated environment, there's a lot of, I see where there's a lot of different places you can put them to, to research these different right. areas. Right. Now, there's that, and then, Sherry, you do the, the spaceflight stuff. So, in terms of what incor what's incorporated in research operations and integration, what's happening in space right now? So, um, we have lots of studies going on right now in space. One of our Loaded question, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the base things that we do is we like to do um, spaceflight standard measures. So that's kind of taken the normal measures um, across the human system to look at uh, for a longevity. So we're trying to get that on lots of different astronauts so we can compare and get more of an understanding of how things are changing and what areas you may need a little more support for longer duration missions. So you pick a couple areas, uh, what's happening to the human body, what's happening to their performance, maybe yeah. their mind, I don't know. Yeah, what so you... some muscle measures oh, to I look see. at how the microbiome's changing, how um, cardiovascular system is altering, vision changes, those types of things. So kind of the whole body is what you're looking at in, in the standard measures. Okay, so then how, where does research oper operations and integration come in? What is, what is your role specifically with looking over these spaceflight experiments? Yeah, so um, we really start way ahead of the spaceflight. So the crew is assigned um, ideally early um, in the flight queue, and so we, ha we know about a year and a half ahead, and we'll start pitching the crew and getting what studies they're interested in and they'd like to participate in, and we'll start doing data collection before flight, um, anywhere from 12, nine to 12 months before flight, we'll start all the way up until they launch, and we'll get that baseline data that that's kind of their normal data then we'll collect data in flight generally hmm. and then we'll collect data when they return and we can see how that body changes over the different um, time course okay so it's yeah all, all right you're getting not only are you thinking about what research do you want to do on the crew mm -hmm. you're getting feedback from the crew saying this is oh this will be interesting to me this will be interesting so when those research opportunities come down the pipe you're like ah this one you i think you'd be interested in this one this one because i think ultimately and correct me if i'm wrong i think when it comes to research on a human body naturally you can't force 
anyone nope. to do that, right? It's got to be voluntary. Yep. So they have to want to sign up for yep. it. So what we do with them is we give them what's called an informed consent briefing. And so we show them all the different studies that are available to them. And they get to look at each one, ask questions. Generally, the PIs will give those presentations. So people that are highly interested in those studies really have excitement and energy and, and interact with the with the crew and, and the crew decides what they want to participate in. Our team takes what they're interested in and makes what we call a complement of research studies for that particular crew member. And from there, that's when we begin some of the data collection. We get their consent, we begin data collection, and that's what we, we form for their in-flight um, research complement. Hmm. So it seems like this interaction with the crew helps you to understand their needs and their constraints. Because naturally, I mean, there's only a few people in space at a time, right? And there's a lot of people that want to do research with the crew. And time is one of those very valuable things in space. So is it part of your job to pick which things happen, which things the crew are able to participate, and to help them, help, I guess, the flight teams understand the timelines needed for these elements. Yeah, so our team works um, with that complement that we've kind of, they'll work and identify what studies can be done together and how that fits in, because we are constrained, generally not as much pre-flight, but during flight for crew time and blood volumes, because a lot of times they want to do some analyte measures with blood. Um, and then post-flight, everybody wants that R, R plus zero to seven day window. They want to get MRIs and all types of different body measures. And we have a limited amount of time with those crew. And we try to coordinate and make sure we stay with everybody's requirement windows. And it's kind of a, a juggle situation. And if we have off nominal landings like we've had in the past, we have to replan everything that we've done plan and try to maximize the science and minimize any loss yeah those poor astronauts everybody wants their blood everybody and everyone wants, wants to put them through a scanner that's right so yeah it's your job to limit that it's your job to let the researchers know um you know this is you're only going to get this much yeah and you're gonna have to work with it yeah i know most recently uh, we've had um a few folks on the podcast to talk about twin study mm -hmm. this is one of our earlier episodes and i know specifically with some of the genetics experiments that they were doing as part of the twin study you know one of the constraints was i'm sorry you only get this much blood and this is what you have to do to do your epigenetic study and they had to work with that so yep. was it through you that they were actually having those constraints and how did you work with that yeah, so it was through our group that mm -hmm. they did that. Um, our, our group has lots of many years of experience at trying to organize and make sure that we have the right requirements for the blood and actually the windows um, for blood collection to kind of help us move things around and shift so we can actually collect as much blood as possible but stay within those safe limits for the crew. I see. Okay. Now, I believe it was – we're talking about research operations and integration here. This is one element of mm -hmm. the human research program. We're going through all the elements right now. There was not research operations and integration all the time. It was something else. What was it before ROI? So it was ISS Medical Project, so International Space Station Medical Project. Hmm. And that incorporated everything that you are doing? Did it incorporate the analogs as well? Yeah, well, <laughs> organizationally, we were doing the same work uh, before the name change. Okay. Um, it, it's it's a little bit, the name was a little bit of a historical artifact from the time before the analog work was actually included um, under what was ISSMP, now ROI. Um, so, so previously, uh, the element was really focused more on the flight side of things. Um, the analogs, as they exist now, didn't they weren't really stood up yet. Um, we had bed rest studies going on. Those were in sort of a separate group. Um, that uh, around the time that uh, one of our analogs, the HERA, which is um, uh, isolation and confinement hab uh, here at JSC, came online, um, the analogs group got folded into what was ISSMP. Hmm. Um, so it became kind of one big happy family working on integrating all these different research studies, getting them uh, put into operations. Um, and we sort of hung on to the name for uh, uh, many years, um, always with a little bit of pokes at each other about this really doesn't sound quite right for the work we're doing now. Um, so we, we finally uh, came up with a, a name that we felt like better reflected kind of all the work that we're doing as, as one big team. The idea, so, it, it broadened the scope, right? ISS, yeah. you know, medical, 
things specifically for medical projects on the International Space Station, we're looking at a lot of different destinations, and there's a lot of great research that can be applied elsewhere. So, yeah, this is broader. It's, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now, here's a good question. Why do we have an integration team like you guys to run the show um, and make sure everything is running smoothly versus just going directly from the people who want to do the research to the end user? Yeah, it's, it's really about enabling them to have successful studies. Um, there's a, a lot of, uh, especially in flight, and Sherry can speak more to this, there are a lot of um, constraints of actually doing the studies in that environment. Um, just paperwork that you need to do along the way, <laughs> approvals that you need to do along the way um, to get from idea to actual implementation. Um, it, it, it's just really something that the human research program set up to try to enable success. So you build up this internal knowledge within the human research program of how do you implement a successful study either in flight or in the analogs. And that's not experience or knowledge that the PIs have to build up on their own. So they're not having to learn from scratch every time. They can um, start from a good spot and also have us to facilitate some of that uh, groundwork that needs to happen. And mm -hmm. we also end up doing a lot of work to kind of um, pass back and forth between the PIs and some of the, the folks in operations. So we've had that experience to, to build up those relationships, um, both in flight and with the analogs, with um, the different personnel that are actually implementing the studies, scheduling the studies, that sort of thing. So they have that sort of trust um, that what's being given to them to implement isn't going to hurt anybody. It's not going to make anybody too nervous and want to drop out of the study. You know, it's not going to make anybody complain that we're taking way too much blood from them at any given time, that mm. sort of thing. So um, it's it, it, we're really here to enable the, the PIs to have successful studies at the end of the day. And um, that that's kind of where we're coming from. So Sherry, take us through the, an example of some study. Say someone wants to do a human research experiment, pick anyone you want, um, on the International Space Station. What is the process from idea to getting it on station? That's great. Um, a lot of what we do in the human research program is peer-reviewed science, so there'll be a solicitation. PI will respond to that solicitation with his proposal and his great idea. The peer review will happen, selections happen, and then that proposal will be given to our group to do what's called a feasibility assessment, mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is what this PI wants to do. Could we even implement it as it is? And generally, there's some things that we'll need to tweak or move some things around. Um, and we'll pull together the feasibility assessment. We'll understand what hardware needs to be brought to station. That's a complicated process that we're able to usher the PI through and help them out. Or if there needs to be new software, we'll have to work with all the IT groups and make sure that we can get the software loaded. Um, and then we'll look at the requirements themselves. What do they need pre-flight? What do they need in-flight? We'll help them through the um, Institutional Review Board that will look and make sure that their studies stay safe and not going to harm the crew in any way. So we'll help them and be there for that. Um, then we'll help them when it's time to pitch the crew. So to give the informed consent briefing, we'll get that the crew to participate and say, hey, we like your study. Then we'll get them signed up, we'll put them into a complement, and then we'll start doing data collection. We'll work out ways to get that data back to the PI because there's lots of um, sometimes issues there um, for data transfer. Then we'll follow all the way through to the end of the study and um, make sure that the PI has all the information that they need and they're getting the data that they need. And in turn, that the elements are getting the research that they need to answer the risks. Hmm. Easy peasy. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> really, that's a quick, yeah. quick synopsis of about five years worth of work. <laughs> oh, that's an important element, right? Like yeah. PI, principal investigator, right? They come to, they come to, uh, they want to do some research, but it's you, yes, you navigate them through this process and you have these reviews, but I'm sure it's it's there's all these other things you don't even think yeah. about, right? Yeah, yes, you can do the research, but how are you going to get the research? Yeah. And who gets to benefit from this research? And then all these other elements about doing, you know, it, yes, you have this idea and maybe you get the hardware, say, to do to do the experiment, but now you need to find the time. Now you need to have a, a, a specific process, and there is a lot of process because, as we mentioned, crew time is very valuable. That's right. So they got to fit it in between everything else they're doing. It is it is a lot of work. I definitely respect what you guys are doing. I think, and I want to make sure I'm, I'm getting this clear, I feel like I'm siloing these two things. I feel like I'm siloing the ISS, the flight portion, and I'm siloing the analog portion. <laughs> 
is there talk in between? Am I missing other elements that you guys are doing? Yeah, so there, there's definitely talk in between. A okay. lot of the studies that happen in the analogs, either concurrently or just afterwards, are going to go into flight. Um, so there's a lot of pass back and forth on what are the issues or challenges that you might have had with this study in this environment? How can we apply those lessons to another environment? You know, we're taking a study that was in a 45-day ground isolation. It broke in this, 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 and this way. Let's make sure it doesn't break the same way on ISS, right? Um, similarly, um, as, as you mentioned, kind of at the top, um, Sherry and I have different experience uh, in terms of our background, mm -hmm. expertise, and our whole team is like that. There's a lot of expertise in a lot of different areas. Um, you know, we've got people that specialize sometimes in more of the flight or the analogs portions, but we're able to pull on that expertise um, to kind of inform uh, either on a specific topic area or even a specific experiment. Again, if you know somebody's worked with a PI for the last three years, that's a body of knowledge that we can pull on going to a different environment, whether it's going from flight to analogs or vice versa. Um, so there's a lot of crosstalk, a lot of learning lessons. Um, you mentioned process. We, we try to kind of apply lessons learned from each other's processes. Um, so uh, for instance, if, if we're setting up a process to integrate a bunch of different studies together into one complement, like Sherry said, that's something that we're doing across both environments. So what are the lessons that we've learned in doing that in the analogs in flight that apply to both? Where can we standardize some of those things mm. um, in ways that make the science better, that make the science more successful? Yeah, good science, good data. That's the ultimate goal here. Right. Now, um, we talked about a few. We've had a couple examples. We talked about the International Space Station as a place to do research. We've talked about many of the, a few of the analogs. Um, what are some other examples? What are, what are other areas that you guys are touching? I think, Sherry, you talked about uh, managing, like working with the crew and understanding mm -hmm. what the crew prefers to do. What other elements are part of this research integration operations? I think it's just really a big team of people that work together and, and want to get the right science done um, and really to, to be facilitators for that PI science. So we want to make sure we get the requirements in there, even though we know we're, we're, we're constrained with crew time or blood volume or whatever it is, we want to make sure that we can do our best to manage that and, and enable the right science to happen and, and take the critical measures and, and be successful and really get that data. I think those are the, our big things. Um, now, you know, going back to different platforms that we're researching on, International Space Station, you mentioned HERA, uh, this, this uh, isolation um, habitat that's here at the Johnson Space Center. I'm sure you don't have like a standard process maybe, or maybe you do, but just here, here is the process from start to finish on how to do this thing. Are they all different? Do you have to treat them all with unique, like a unique child? You just... Um, just have a different process for each of them. Yeah, there, there are definitely aspects in common, but they all have their own unique flavor. Some of them have unique steps. Um, it, you know, in all of them, like Sherry said, we're kind of cradle to grave on the studies as far as um, getting sort of those initial ideas, that initial proposal, assessing it for feasibility, um, figuring out where it might need to be tweaked, where it might be okay. Um, and then enabling the actual data collection itself, getting the data back to the PIs, kind of closing things out there. Where it differs is a lot of the details. So, hmm. for instance, in the analogs, um, a lot of times we're not just taking the research into the environment, which is plenty complicated on the space station, but um, in a lot of cases we're actually running the environment as well or have a hand in running and setting up the environment. So, for instance, with the HERA, we're not um, only facilitating the actual research itself in terms of kind of overseeing the specific studies, but we actually run the environment. So we staff the mission control for the facility. We select the subjects for the facility. We set up the, the mission scenario. Um, we support all the hardware, the habitat itself. So it's, it's kind of a really kitchen sink approach to everything there. And that's, that's for one of the analogs. Then for um, uh, the serious missions that we're conducting in uh, Moscow, Russia, um, it's a little bit of a different flavor, so we're, we're still facilitating the science, but the folks actually running the facility are uh, at IBMP, uh, one of the, the space organizations in, in Russia. Hmm. Um, 
so we're we're kind of working a little bit more in partnership with them rather than just running the whole show. So we work with them uh, jointly to design the scenario, to select the subjects, to to um, set up some of the conditions. But on a day to day basis, they're running the actual facility. They're running the mission. Um, sort of a similar situation at NBHAB, which is a bed rest facility in Cologne, Germany, that we work with for our bed rest studies. Um, again, it's it's in Germany. Our folks are not on the ground. They're running it day to day. That's uh, DLR handling that, the German space agency. Um, what we're doing is, again, working with them to kind of set up the initial requirements. What do we need? What do we don't need? Um, what are the types of subjects we need? And then they kind of handle the day to day there. Um, but we're sort of running in the background to make sure our science is set up the right way, our science is supported in the right way, that they can get the, the data they need. Um, and then we're sort of even one more step uh, back when it comes to the Antarctic because we're really, really um, uh, kind of uh, separated from what's going on down on the ice there just due to the distance, the limited bandwidth, the communication um, challenges that happen there where we're really reliant on um, National Science Foundation personnel at the different National Science Foundation stations in the Antarctic to run our studies. So a lot of our job is making sure they've got the material up front on the studies before they go down to the ice because they may lose communication, communication may be spotty. They need to be really autonomous when they're running the studies for us and supporting the studies for us. Um, so it's it's a different flavor in every environment that we work with. At the end of the day, we're, we're still trying to facilitate the science, make sure that data is collected in the right way and the data gets back to the PIs, but the exact specifics kind of change from environment to environment. And it's always sort of a fun part of the challenge to figure out going into a new environment or working with an environment, what's the best way to make that happen. Yeah. So. It seems like you're integrated in a way to make sure that you're getting the best science possible. Because there's so many things going on, and you're mentioning places all over the world. You mentioned right. Houston, you mentioned Moscow, you mentioned Cologne, Germany, you mentioned Antarctica. <laughs> um, I mean, this is, this is no joke. So to make sure that the results are consistent, Right, so that's where your integration comes in. You make sure you're asking the same questions, make sure you're using the same processes and ways of distributing the information so that more people can get their eyes on it in a, in a good way and because and, it's valuable data. Um, that sounds like where it's, it's a lot of work. I'm really getting a sense of scale for how much work you put into this stuff. Um, now, what sorts of questions are we asking in all of these places? There's analogs all over the world, right? You, you, we mentioned that and we mentioned that we are asking these questions. What are the scenarios that we're putting people in, and what are the questions that we're asking when they're there? So I'll I'll just kind of run through it. In uh, we'll, we'll do a list here. It's probably a little easier for me to organize okay. my thoughts okay. that way. So we'll, so we'll start with the Hera uh, Human Exploration Research Analog here at JSC. Um, we do forty five day isolation and confinement studies there. So that's that's that key aspect of spaceflight that we're trying to be an analog for is the isolation and confinement. Um, the majority of studies there are behavioral in nature. Um, uh, we're starting to do a lot more human factors work there. So looking at design of the habitat, design of the work, how can we make that better for future missions? Um, there's also a fair number of physiology studies there. So looking at microbiome, hmm. um, looking at changes within the human, looking at things like stress markers. Um, uh, it's, it's really wide ranging, but it's kind of focused on, on those two areas. Um, Right now, uh, we're really focused in on what are the effects of uh, limited volume and privacy on the crew. So if they're in a really small space and they don't have much privacy, which is sort of the situation we anticipate for future missions, what's that gonna do to the crew? So we've actually modified the facility to take away some privacy compared to previous years. Um, we've modified the volume to be a little smaller than previous years, so we're able to do those uh, comparisons. Um, future years we're going to be looking at uh, things like how to better train the crew how to better support the crew when they've had limited training those sorts of things so um, lots of really wide-ranging questions there um, with the uh, serious missions in moscow it's it's sort of a similar flavor it's also isolation and confinement studies but it's over a longer period of time so there um, last year with our Sirius 19 mission, we did four months of isolation. Uh, next year we're moving into eight months, and then the following year we're gonna do 12 months of isolation. So really looking at what are the effects over time of being in that type of environment, 
and do they add up over time so is it gonna is it worse being in that environment or does it cause additional types of adaptation when you're there for 12 months versus four months or does it sort of just plateau out we we don't quite know yet um, so we're looking across a wide wide range of measures um, both physiologically but especially behaviorally um, both individual and team dynamics there on kind of what's what's going on with the people in that environment um, with the NBHAB and Cologne as I mentioned we're doing bed rest studies there so really looking at the effects of the microgravity environment on people so I, I said earlier we don't have quite the anti-gravity machine worked out yet, <laughs> but the closest we can get is bed rest. So we put people at a six degree head down tilt, and that simulates some of the, um, between the bed rest itself and the tilt, simulates some of the effects on the body of um, losing that pressure of gravity on muscle, bone, um, fluids shifting more towards your uh, upper torso and head. Hmm. Um, so we're able to study a lot of the physiological adaptations that happen to people when they're in a microgravity environment. Um, uh, previous years there, we've actually looked at the combined effects of that with um, elevated CO2. Um, and uh, currently we're studying uh, countermeasures for the actual microgravity environment. So we're using uh, centrifuge to um, spin the subjects for 30 minutes a day uh, to see if that helps to alleviate some of the effects of uh, the, micro the head down tilt and, and the um, bed rest um, in terms of some of the negative adaptations that happen. Um, because that might point to whether or not centrifugation, sort of artificial gravity, uh, we call it, um, is an effective countermeasure for some of those uh, potentially negative adaptations that can happen because of long durations in microgravity. Hmm. Then I'll wrap up <laughs> with um, the, the Antarctic stations. Um, it, it's again a wide range of things that we're looking at there. Um, as I mentioned, it's isolation, confinement, and we're adding the extreme environment factor in that case. So. Uh, given that, we've looked at um, individual psychology, so how's the, how are, is the mental health of people in an environment like that, where you've got that constant pressure of the environment outside is dangerous, I'm isolated, I'm confined, I can't really freely get out or talk to people um, the way I would in my normal life. Um, looking at team dynamics in that environment, how are those affected? Um, and then just starting to look at, uh, at least when it comes to the kind of formal human research program, some of the physiological effects on people. So for instance, how their immunology might change as being a result of being in that environment with that constant low level stress and that isolation, that confinement again. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of examples. Awesome job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, yeah, you, you put them in all of these different environments and you ask a bunch of questions. Um, to see how it can this relate to stuff we want to do later. What's, what was fascinating to me, the one I pulled out is the uh, is the smaller and smaller spaces sort of thing. That is absolutely something we're looking at right now with Orion. It's in the very near future. So it's something that the crew is going to have to deal with very soon. So understanding those team dynamics and, and those levels of stress um, will be extremely interesting. You mentioned, though, um, you know, you're doing all of these analog studies and you have these facilities, you got a couple things that you're doing, but the process of actually start to finish having an idea and then executing it, Sherry, you already alluded to us, you already alluded to five years. You know, th this whole process of from an idea to execution can be five years. So what what does that mean? Does that mean, is that the only thing you touch? You only, you only touch that spot, right, where there's an idea and you execute it and then you're done. Are you involved afterwards? Are you integrating these ideas um, to, to, to promote them or spread them out or share them? Is there any effort like that? What does that five-year span look like? So we kind of talked about what happens during that five-year span. Once the study's done, the PI takes their data and they will publish it. Our amazing communications team does a lot of work with them um, to promote what they've learned and how that impacts the human research program. Hmm. So that's a huge part of it, right, is naturally you do all this research. You want to get some – you want to understand what's happening. You want to get yep. that that, uh, that understanding. Um, now, again, we mentioned we're doing this research with different people. We've mentioned the analogs. Naturally, that's not going to be astronauts all the time. It might be, but you can use a variety of different people. For the International Space Station, you're stuck with just astronauts. Um, so not – 
I say stuck with just astronauts, <laughs> like it's the worst thing. But, but for I guess for data, you want the widest set possible. But what's it like um, interacting with the astronauts and working with them and, and letting them understand the priority of what people are trying to accomplish with their research? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I think we take for granted sometimes that we work with astronauts on a day on a daily basis, but they're really highly trained individuals who are excited about what they do. And the more mm. we can tell them what these studies do, the more they'll be excited about what they are. They want to promote the research that they're participating in. So our job really is to help them understand what they're doing and how they can get that out to the public and and let them share what they're doing and be excited about it. Now, I've I've understand that because of some of the research that's been done, um, you know, for example, genetic studies. If you hear, oh, I'm gonna, I want to study your DNA, um, and a researcher is trying to tell you that, oh, this is really important. I want to study your your genetics. I could see the astronauts being like, why do you, why do you need to study my genetics? That's an invasion of privacy. You get all these different things. But because of the results, because of the research that's been going into, and what we're finding. From what I'm hearing, more and more astronauts are saying, yes, I want to participate in this. I want to help with this endeavor. Do you find that that's true, too, that maybe maybe you have to sometimes pursue in a different way? And I, you know, if you want to do research, this is important, and this is why this is valuable, and this is why you should participate in it. Exactly. I think that's a great point. I mean, education on what we're doing and, and what the goal is really helps a lot, and it'll get a lot more participation if the crew understands why you're doing something. They're much more willing to to, to donate whatever sample you mm -hmm. need to yeah. <laughs> to that effort. So besides... Um Besides working with the crew and, and convincing them that this is a good idea that you should do this, what other challenges do you face whenever you're trying to do research, human research, on the International Space Station? It could be crew, it could be any other challenges uh, that you find um, when it comes to doing this research. So I think um, the crew's probably your easy part. Yeah, oh. Institutional Review Board is probably a, a little bit more tough because you need hmm. to educate them as well at what you're doing and, and make sure that you're doing things in the right way, in the safe way. Uh, we also have to work with the ISS program to let them know, hey, these are the types of research that we want to do. We're going to need this much crew time to get this done. And it's kind of a negotiation on how much crew time we can have, how much the blood volume. It's kind of a set limit. We work within that. Um, also on a mass of hardware and consumables, because when you're taking saliva samples, you have consumables that you need to, to use up there, and then you got to get it back. So we have to have down mass to be able to return those samples as well. So it's kind of a lot of logistics and making sure that everybody understands what we need, when we need it, and the importance of it. Mm -hmm. Now, what about for analog participants? How does that change, or is it very similar to that? I, I think it's pretty similar. Um, I, I think the biggest challenge really is that sort of that integration, the complexity of just you've got all these moving pieces between all the studies, all the different boards and approvals, the actual facilities themselves, um, getting all of that to work together and, and things not be missed along the way, the, the little details that can get missed. Um, as much as we don't always love it, we document everything. <laughs> um, and that saves us a lot of times is making sure that we get the right documentation in place because we can go refer back to that. But um, that's that's kind of a big challenge for the analogs is just the number of moving parts that we're managing and making sure something doesn't get dropped along the way. Um, the other big challenge, honestly, is just things go bump in the night. Um, equipment breaks um, a, a lot of times either uh, with the facilities or with PI uh, hardware or software or what have you. Things go wrong. Off-nominal situations happen. Stuff happens that we don't expect. And a big part of our job is... Um, from the start, trying to put ourselves in a situation where we don't have single point failures. So we've got backups for our backups for our backups, you know, where we can. We've got backup plans where we can't have those backups. Um, and then, you know, we try to anticipate as many of those problems as we can, build in the backups where we can. But stuff still surprises us. Stuff surprises us every single time we do one of these missions, whether it's in flight, whether it's on the ground. So a big part of our job is, okay, something went wrong. What do we do with it? Mm -hmm. um, who do we need to talk to? What's the time frame we need to talk to them on? How are we going to respond on this in the way that gives us the best science at the end of the day? You know, a, a lot of times when stuff like that happens, you can't get what you originally planned for, but what's the next best thing that you can get? So a big part of our job is helping 
figure that out both from our end and working with the PIs, working with the human research program to figure out sort of at the end of the day, all right, this thing went wrong, um, this piece of hardware broke, here are our options, here's our recommendation for what we do next, and let's, let's go from there, let's get the best science with what we can still do um, with what's available. That is something that I think people may not necessarily think of immediately is you you talk about all the science we're doing and we're we're pointing out all of these different investigations and and how to run these things but they don't go perfectly all the time and I don't think it's a reasonable expectation that they do um, so it does make sense you know integrated into that operation should be what happens if something goes wrong what happens if a goes wrong you said you're documenting everything you're you're keeping track of all of these things Tell me about where human research was maybe five, ten years ago, and this process of documentation to get you where you are now. Is it is it better? Is it more efficient? Is it? Um, do you understand more about how to successfully do human research in space and on the ground? I I would say pretty unequivocal yes to that. <laughs> um, we we've learned a lot of lessons. We're always learning a lot. That's that's something that we pride ourselves on as as being a learning organization. So. Um, something went wrong this time. Let's figure out how to keep it from going wrong in the future. Um, so yeah, we've especially I think as ROIs come together to integrate not just the science but flight and analog work that's going on. We've learned a lot from each other on um, the best ways to do things, the best ways to plan for things. Um, so both in terms of, as you mentioned, just documenting things to make sure that we're capturing it all. But, but how we actually implement the work, um, I, I think we're definitely in a better spot um, uh, now, and we're always getting better. That's, that's something that we're always striving towards is um, let's do better the next time. Uh, we've got a lot of really conscientious, really high achieving uh, folks in our team. Um, we're happy to have them, um, and they're always wanting to do better. So that's, that's something we're always working towards. I do not doubt that when it comes to NASA scientists at all. Um, but Sherry, when it comes to the International Space Station, we're talking about 20 years continuously, almost. We're, we're coming up on it, but 20 years of people in space, that's a lot of data, that's a lot of human research. I'm sure human research just in general has progressed and become more efficient, as Brandon mentioned, just in that time. What have you seen just working with the International Program from when you first got this job to now, um, just how things have changed um, in, on, with, when it comes to human research? Yeah, so I, I think we're really in a great position right now. We have a wonderful suite of hardware. So we have mm. hardware that PIs can use and work together, the ultrasound machines, centrifuges, we have blood kits. We have, we've really developed like the basis of a laboratory up there. And we continue to grow that laboratory to increase the types of science that we can do. And future, we'll do some genetics and genomics work in, in flight. I mean, these are the, the types of things we're constantly trying to push that boundary and that envelope as we move forward and, and learn more and learn more as we go. Because as we go these long duration missions, we're not going to be able to bring those samples down. Hmm. We need to have ways to look at it in flight. So going forward, you know, the next step that we're talking about when it comes to human exploration is the moon. We're looking at Artemis, and things are going to change. It's like you mentioned; things are a lot farther away. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a lot more constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not quite Mars, where you know you go, you're going out, and you're you know six months, and this is you're gone. Good luck. Yeah, um, yeah good luck. <laughs> but you know, it's a it's a great platform for yeah. for understanding what happens when it comes to deep space, um, and it's three days away. Not bad, yeah. three six days away. Um, so. What changes going forward? What have, what have we learned and what can we take from the International Space Station and carry over to flight operations to, to operations on the moon and, and moving forward from there? Yeah, um, so what we're doing is we're really trying to look at the space station as a way to, to test out some of these things that we're doing, test out some of the hardware at, and test out some of the research that's happening. Um, so we'll understand more and move forward um, as we go through these long longer missions up we're up to three years from Mars, we're looking at longer duration studies as well. So we're looking at um, something called the integrated one-year mission. So we're gonna look at that time course. We're gonna do short duration, short duration flying, um, about six weeks to, to two months. We'll look at standard, what we normally were used to, that six month um, 
kind of length of the mission. And then we'll look at the one year. And in that, we're doing this integrated suite of 14 different invest investigations that we're pulling together mm. um, for international partner investigations as part of that. So we're looking at that whole physiology from head to toe and saying, hey, how does this change over those different time courses? And how can we relate that to much longer distances um, and longer durations in space? Okay, so a lot of important stuff coming up yeah. definitely in the future. Is there anything from the analogs that we can take and bring it to the moon? Yeah, so I, I think I mentioned um, things going bump in the night. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that we um, are doing in the analogs is testing out a lot of these different um, pieces of hardware, pieces of software, countermeasures, measures, um, to make sure that if they're going to break, they break now. They don't break <laughs> when an astronaut's on the moon mm -hmm. or on their way to Mars or on Mars. Um, so we, we want to get through those kind of alpha, beta, whatever testing um, now, figure out where the brakes are, get them fixed. That way, all these different things are ready to go when we do deploy them on a real mission. So if you're needing a measure to work while somebody's on one of the Artemis missions, you want to make sure before you launch it, it's really, really ready to work. And so we kind of put it through its paces in the analogs. Um, as Sherry mentioned, we're going to use the International Space Station to test some of these things out as well um, to make sure that some of the radiation exposures in uh, orbit or some of the microgravity doesn't kind of mess with some of the, the workings of things. Um, but really making sure that, that some of these things are ready to go, ready for prime time uh, when it comes to deploying them on a real mission with real astronauts. Um, that's, that's one of the things that actually attracts a lot of our um, analog subjects to participating in the missions that they do with us. They're giving up big parts of their lives to do the missions, um, but they know that what they're doing is going to have direct benefits for the astronauts later, whether it's the results of the research or some of the tweaks that happen with the different hardware, the different software, the different measures as a result of the data that they're providing while they're in the analogs. Wow. It's a massive amount of work, but it's important work, so it's very much appreciated. Brandon and Sherry, thank you so much for coming on Houston Web Podcast today to talk about this research operations and integration. I have a very big appreciation for what you guys do now because it's massive. It's a lot of work, but it's all important research, so appreciate your time for talking about it today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Great conversation we had with Brandon Vesey and Sherry Ubri today about research operations and integration. Huge job that they have. This was part five of our six-part series on the human research program. One more to go next week will be um, space radiation. We'll uh, end the series with that one. If you want to check out some of our other episodes or the many other podcasts that we have through NASA, go to nasa.gov slash podcasts. If you like what you've heard about uh, human research and you'd like to get involved or maybe research a little bit more about what they do, go to the Human Research Programs website at, guess what, nasa.gov slash HRP. If you go to social media and you're following along with us, we thank you. Uh, we are on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Just for, make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on November 18th, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, Brett Redden, Emily Malden, and the Human Research Program team for helping to bring this all together. Thanks again to Dr. Brandon Vesey and Dr. Sherry Ubri for taking the time to come on the show. We'll be back next week.